All right, good morning again, Living Stones. Um, if we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Pat. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is uh, great to have you guys here. Um, we forgot to mention one other thing that we can rejoice about with Christmas this year. I was looking on my weather app, and they're forecasting to be like mid-50s on, uh, on Christmas Day. So I, I'm, I'm jazzed about that. <laughs> better, better that than it being like in the single digits. But um, it's, it's great to, to be here with you guys this morning. And uh, today we're, we're having our third kind of talk in our Christmas series that we're calling God With Us. Christmas presents. And, and really what we've been trying to, to share and, and what God has been stirring my heart about is the whole idea that, that when we were younger, Christmas was just this magical, amazing time that we couldn't wait for. And the older that I've gotten, the more difficult that has been, where, where there, there's a lot of times that I've either secretly or, or not so secretly kind of looked forward to when Christmas was going to be over. And January would get here, just kind of like Chuck was saying, we'll put everything away, get back to life as normal. And, and, I, and I tell you, like that, that whole concept of, I, I, don't, I don't want, what Clive was saying, I don't, I don't want Christmas to be about me and my thoughts and my ideas. And, and, and the, what was so unique is that the very things that Jesus came into this world to bring so that we could experience is the opposite of what we tend to experience this time of year. Like, he came to bring peace, and yet so often we don't feel peaceful. He came to bring joy, and how many people are completely joyless this time of year? He came to bring hope, and yet I know so many people that have felt completely hopeless. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, what we're going to talk about today is that very idea of hope. How do we hold on to hope when it seems like everything around us looks dark? How can we experience that hope that Jesus has promised and brought into our lives. So let's pray, and we're going to jump right in. So Lord, I, I just want to tell you, thank you, God, for meeting us here. God, thank you for your presence that is already in this room, for the way that you are speaking to each and every one of us today. Lord, I, I pray that you give us ears to hear from you. God, that, that we will receive what it is that you have for us today. God, anoint me to share your word with your people, God. God, we're just thanking you for what you're going to do, what you're already up to, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I recently finished a book by Alfred Lansing called Endurance. Has anybody ever read the, the book Endurance by Alfred Lansing? Okay, I saw one hand. Jeff, it's just you and me, man. And Well, it, it, it's a fantastic book, and it's about Ernest Shackleton and the Imperial Transantarctic Expedition. This is Ernest Shackleton right here, and he was the one that led this expedition in 1914. So a little over 100 years ago now, they set out, and the goal was that they were going to be the first people to cross the entire continent of Antarctica. They were going to ride dog sleds from one end of Antarctica all the way to the other. And so the plan was that Shackleton was going to take a, a team of 27 men, and they were going to land on one end of Antarctica. They were going to send another team out to the other side and was going to pick them up after they dog sledded the entire way. And the the expedition didn't quite go exactly as they had planned because as they, they didn't even get to Antarctica, as they were approaching, they actually got their ship, which was called the Endurance, got encased in ice, which wasn't entirely unexpected. You know, that kind of thing happened, and, and typically the wind would shift and, and the flows would move and the ice would break up. Well, the ice never broke up. 
And in fact, the ice got, got so uh, tight and packed and there was so much pressure around the endurance that eventually the endurance got crushed by the ice, their ship. And, and so what the Shackleton and his crew had to do, they had to try to get as much off of their ship as they could before it got completely crushed in the ice. And so they, they got three lifeboats off. They got the dogs and the sleds and a bunch of provisions off. But other than that, their ship was totally gone. And so now here they are on this massive ice flow that had just crushed their ship. They had no way of getting to land and they had no way of getting to rescue. And, and you think about it for just a moment. You thought, man, what, that, that's a pretty bad situation. Well, well, let me tell you this. They spent 16 months on that ice flow. It wasn't like it was just a week or two. They spent nearly a year and a half encamped on, on this ice flow. I mean, and it was, it was, it was a terrible situation. They, they attempted to drag the, the boats across the ice, and they realized they couldn't do that. And so they just said, all right, we're just going to have to camp here, and we're going to have to wait until this ice finally breaks up. And so they lived on, on their provisions, on their rations that they had, but they also were killing seals and penguins in order to, to truly uh, survive on, on this ice. And so what, what was so unique about it was eventually after 16 months of living on the ice and, and all this, the ice started to break apart. And they thought, yes, finally we're going to be able to get out of here. Well, that's when the next hard part of their journey happened was they said, okay, now what? You know, like we're, we're, in, we're in the middle of, of the ocean here. How do, we, how do we get to anywhere safe? And so they calculated where they were. And they ended up getting in their lifeboats and they made for Elephant Island, which was the closest island to where they were. It took them seven days in these rickety lifeboats to get to Elephant Island. And Elephant Island is an uninhabited island. There's nobody there. There's nothing there. Nobody comes by that way. There was nowhere, no way for them to be able to communicate with anybody where they were. And so Shackleton, he realized that several of his men were injured. They were dealing with frostbite. It, it was not a good situation. But he had to find a way to get his men some help. And so he took four men with him, and they got in one of the boats, and they made for South Georgia Island. And South Georgia Island was through one of the most treacherous areas of, of ocean in the entire, on the entire planet. And they're in this, this little 12-foot lifeboat with four men, for 16 days. It took them 16 days to get to South Georgia Island from Elephant Island. And once they got to South Georgia Island, they had to cross the whole island to get to a whaling station that was there so they could finally go and rescue their men. You can put up the, the next picture here. This is, this is actually a picture of, of Shackleton's men. That, that They had a photographer that was there that was trying to document their entire expedition that they had, and they ended up documenting the entire rescue of what took place. And, and what, was, what was so interesting about this was when the, the ship finally came to pick up the men that had been stuck on Elephant Island, they had been lost. They had been out, out at sea having no hope for almost two years that they had been just living and trying to survive. And, and I've read the accounts of, of the men that were in the expedition. And, and what's, what's fascinating about this, let me tell you this, nobody died. All 27 men survived this entire ordeal. It, it's crazy. I mean, talk. I mean, the, the, the name of that ship, Endurance, I mean, talk, it, it couldn't have been named more appropriately than that. 
And what was so, what was so unique about it, what was so interesting is, as you read the, the accounts of the men, because many of the men kept diaries with them of, of their entire ordeal that they had, that a lot of the men, they started to slip into, into hopelessness at, at points. Where, if, if you know, like they were down at Antarctica, so for a big chunk of the year, the sun never rose. They were in complete darkness for, year, for, for months at a time. They were living on ice, trying to kill and shoot seals and penguins, and trying to stay warm and trying to stay alive in total darkness. And then on the flip side, there were other months where the sun never set. I mean, it, it was a miserable, horrible situation. And, and some, of the, some of the accounts, one of the men wrote, he said, we are under the spell of the black Antarctic night. I mean, you can just kind of just feel the despair that he has in his voice there. Another one said, I don't think there will be many survivors of this. And, and, and Shackleton, for all that we know, he remained, he remained confident. He was, he was hopeful throughout the entire thing. And if he did lose hope, he never shared it with his men. He never wrote it in his diaries. But he, what he really wanted to do is he was, he was holding on that we need to do something. We need to save these men, these men that I've been put in charge of. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And he put his life at terrible peril in order to save all 27 of those men. And again, thankfully, they all survived. I mean, it, it was an amazing it was an amazing story, and, and I'd encourage you, re- read the book by Alfred Lansing. It's called Endurance. But I'll, I'll, I'll be willing to bet that at one point in your life, and for some of you it might even be right now, that you've kind of felt like Shackleton's men on the ice floes in Antarctica in complete darkness, where it just feels like, is there any hope at all? Like nobody knows we're here. World War I had just started, so nobody was even, nobody was thinking about the Imperial Transantarctic Expedition. They were thinking about staying alive during, during World War I. And, and I, I think we've all had times and experiences where we've felt that same way, where we've, where we've just looked around and it just seems completely dark and seems completely hopeless. And it, is there any way that I'm really going to be able to get out of this? You feel like God has left you, He's not there, He doesn't care that maybe He's even forgotten about you. And you just say, God, where are you right now? Why, why is this happening to me? I've been praying, I've been believing, I've been hoping that things are going to get better, and not only are they not getting better, they continue to get worse. You say, what, God, what, what's up with that? What, what is the deal? Well, what I want to do is I want to share with you, what, what is hope? What, what is the biblical definition of hope? And, it, and it's that hope is a belief, it's a trust, it's a looking forward with desire and confidence. Looking forward with desire and confidence. And so I, I'm just going to be completely honest with you this morning. What I'm not going to be able to do today is I'm not going to be able to assure you and promise you that that thing that you're praying for, that thing that you're hoping for, that thing that you're believing for is going to happen. I, I wish I could. I wish I could tell you that that's the case, but I can't promise you that. I, I mean, just the, this very week, I lost a very dear friend of mine. Um, last, last Sunday, it was literally... An hour before I got up to speak in first service, I found out that Alan had passed away. And, and Alan was a, he was a very dear friend of mine. He was a friend, a mentor. He, he, was, he was a father to me, a, a second father to me. Uh, he was an adopted grandfather for, for my kids. And I can't tell you the number of, of breakfasts that I had with him and the way that he would encourage me and pray for me. And, and you guys don't know this, he was praying for you as well. That he, he was so excited when he heard that, that God had called us up here to, to lead this church. 
And he was praying for all of you as well. I mean, he, he was one of those men that you just say, man, when I'm in my 60s, that's what I want to be like. He, he just oozed wisdom and love and compassion. And I lost him this week. And, and it was hard because I, his health had been failing for a little while. And when we had our interior decor day, I went up to St. Joe Hospital to go visit him and go just kind of pray with him and with his wife. And, and, and Toby, his wife, she, you know, was believing God for a miracle. No, Alan's time is not over yet. And I prayed the same thing. Say, God, you know what? I'm believing. I know you're going to heal him. We're trusting that you're going to do it. And then last Sunday, he passed. And you just say, God, I don't understand. Like, God, why, why, do, why do you heal some people sometimes and then other people don't? Well, like, why, why, does it work? why do some things work out for some people and some things don't? You, some people, they're praying and believing for something, and God, you do it in an instant. And then there's times I'm praying and I'm believing for something, and it's just crickets, and it's just silence. You're saying, God, I don't understand. Like, I have another dear friend. Her name is Diane. She just found out she's 100% cancer-free. She's dealt with cancer twice now. And, and, I mean, a number of other health issues. And God has healed her every single time. And, and, and the sad thing is, in ministry, I've, I've been in ministry for 10 and a half years now. And the sad thing is, when you're in ministry, you get a front-row seat to a lot of pain that people are going through. You get a, you get a front-row seat to a lot of the discouragement and the, and the despair and the hopelessness that, that people feel. And, and they're saying, God, why is this happening? I, I don't understand. Why, why, what did I do? Why, why is God not acting? Why is he not doing what I've been praying and asking for him to do? And, and again, I don't necessarily have an easy answer for you. There's a lot of times in our Christian walk, there are no easy answers. There's not some great bumper sticker saying that you can slap on your car and it's going to make everything better. There's not necessarily a, a simple slogan. But what I can tell you, what I can tell you is this, that God has provided us a hope. He's provided in us a, a longing, a looking for a, and a desire for something that's, going to, that, that's better, an expectation that God is going to do something. And, and that doesn't mean that, that it's always going to happen like, like we want it to. But if there's one thing that all of us need, whether you're going through it right now or whether you're going to in the future, is we need to be able to find how do we hold on to hope? How do we, how do we hold on to hope in a God that sometimes feels far off? How do we hold on to a hope in a God who sometimes feels like he's not there, he's not listening, he's, he's left us behind? How do we hold on to that kind of hope? So what, I, what I'm going to do is, you can take notes on the back of your bulletin, or if you have our Livingstones app, you can take notes in there. But there's a couple things I want to share with you of how during this Christmas season, how during this Christmas time, can we truly hold on to hope? And so the first thing I want to share with you is this, that the birth of Jesus demonstrates how much God loves us. The birth of Jesus demonstrates how much God loves us, how much God loves you. Because when, when you're going through what seems like a hopeless situation, it's easy to kind of point the finger at God and to get angry and to accuse God and say, God, why aren't you doing this? God, don't you care? God, are you not paying attention? Do you, do you, not, do you not love me? Are, are, you even, are you even paying attention? And, it, and it's easy to think those thoughts. It's easy to say those things in the moment to question whether he cares at all, whether he actually loves us at all. But, but I'll tell you, God knew from the very beginning before he ever sent Jesus 
into this world before Jesus was ever conceived, before he was ever even born. God knew what he was sending his son into. He knew that his son was going to be murdered and going to be crucified on your behalf. And yet he still sent him anyways. He still, he looked at you and loved you so much that he knew the horror that his son was going to go through and he said, you know what? I'm sending him anyways because I love you that much. Matthew 1.21, the angel is talking to Joseph in this moment and he's saying, she will give birth to a son and you are to, na- and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus knew what the sacrifice was going to be. God knew that to save his people from his sins, Jesus was going to have to die a horrible death. And yet he still sent his son anyways. 1 John 4.10 says that this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loves us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if you read through the Old Testament and you read through the sacrificial systems and all that, an atoning sacrifice meant only one thing, that blood had to be shed in order for sins to be forgiven. God knew this in the moment, and yet he still sent his son anyways. I'll I'll tell you, in those moments where it feels hopeless, where it feels like God is far away and he doesn't care and he doesn't love you, it helps us to remind ourselves in that moment that God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus to come be here on our behalf. God operates outside of time. And he looked down the long hallway of history and he saw you sitting here in 2019 and said, yes, she is worth it. She is worth sacrificing my son for. He's worth giving up the son who I love in whom I'm well pleased. He loves you that much. And and I'll tell you, I, I love all of you in this room. God, I, I don't know all of you very well yet, but God has given me a supernatural love for you. But I'll just be honest with you, I would not be willing to sacrifice one of my kids for your behalf. I'm just being honest with you. And I, and I wouldn't expect you to do the same for me. But God's love is way bigger than my love. God's love is way bigger than yours. He loves you so much that he was willing to send his son to die on a cross for you. That's, that's, that's some good news right there. He does care for you. He does love you. He is there for you. Even when, he's fe- even when he seems silent and far off, that God still loves you even in those moments. So that's the first thing. We need to remind ourselves, God loves me so much that he sent his son into this world and died a horrible death because he loves me that much. The, the second thing that, that's helpful for us, when, when, when we feel like all we see around us is just darkness and, and, and black and, and things seem hopeless. One of the things we need to do is we need to remind ourselves of the character of our Father. When it feels hopeless, it helps to remind yourself what is the character of God? Who is He? Who does God say He is? Because God is not a liar. And He is who He says He is. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just kind of, I, I could spend all morning doing this, but I'm going to give you Several, several kind of character traits of who God is and some verses that, that back each one of those up that we can remind ourselves that when we're going through something, when life feels hopeless, we can remind ourselves of these facts. So the first one is that God is wise. He's full of perfect, unchanging wisdom. God knows things that we don't know. God sees things that we don't see. And in those moments where it feels hopeless, we can trust that God is wise and He knows He's got a wisdom that's far above anything we can think. 
Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable, unfathomable are His ways. That God, God sees and thinks things way beyond what we can see and what we can think. And we can say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I trust You. I trust Your wisdom. I trust that, that You know what's best in this situation, even if I don't see it. Another thing we can remind ourselves of is that God is faithful always. God is not faithful just some of the time. He's not faithful in a transactional kind of relationship like we often have, where I'll treat you well if you treat me well. But God is faithful all the time, no matter what. No matter what. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Therefore, know, excuse me, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is, faith, he is the faithful God, keeping His covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commands. And, and catch this, 2 Timothy 2.13, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. That even when we have been faithless to God, even when we have not honored Him, that He is still faithful to us. And so those times where it, it feels like, God, have you abandoned me? He hasn't. God is faithful all the time, no matter what. The next one is remind yourselves God is good. He's a good God. He doesn't mean any harm, any ill to come your way. He is good. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 27, 13 says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so when, when those calamities and those things happen where it feels hopeless, we can say, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I know that you're still good anyways. I know that you're good. I know that I can trust you. We need to remind ourselves that God is just. He's just. He's perfect in all that He does. He's perfect in all that He does. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His words are perfect and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just, is He. That God doesn't ever treat us unfairly. God, God is not mean. He doesn't pick favorites. That God is just no matter what. So when life feels hopeless, we can remind ourselves, you know what? God's not singling me out. He's not trying to cause harm to me. That God is just. And He's perfect in all He does. We need to remind ourselves that God is gracious. God is gracious. How many times that God has been gracious, has forgiven me, has done things for me that I did not earn and I did not deserve? Psalm 145, verses 8-9 through says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that He has made. We remind ourselves, God is gracious. He's been so gracious and so kind. He has not treated me as my sins deserve. And the last one I want to share with you today is that God is merciful. God is merciful. Romans 9, 15-16. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. That is not based on, on our ability. It's not based on our goodness. It's not based on anything we do or say or think. God is merciful to us because that's who He is. Because He is mercy. Because He is merciful. I, I'll tell you, when we're tempted to call it quits and we're tempted to give up on God and say, God, this feels like a hopeless situation where nothing is getting better and no matter what, it just feels like there's nobody on the other end of the line. 
we need to remind ourselves that God is who He says He is. He is who He says He is. He's, he's not a liar. And, and so we're, when we're faced with a terrible situation, we can say, I don't know why that happened. I've, I've, I've had to tell people that so many times. I don't know. I wish I could give you an answer as to why, the, why you're going through this, why this is happening. But I do know that God is good. I don't know why He wasn't healed. But I trust that God has a plan that I don't see. I, I don't know why the marriage fell apart, but I trust that God is going to do something good through this anyways. Like I, I, I'll tell you, try, trying to find out and ask God, why is this happening? That's always the wrong question. It's always the wrong question to ask. The, the right question to ask in those moments is how. Not why is this happening, but God, how are you going to see me through it? How are you going to give me strength in the moment where I feel like I have none? How are you going to see me through? We have to remind ourselves of God's character and who He really is. The, the third thing, the third way that we can try to find and experience hope, especially this time of year whenever, when things can feel hopeless, is that we need to remind ourselves that God can use the worst for eternal good. God can use the worst situations, the worst things that can happen in your life, and turn them around and do something amazing with them. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things, not just some things, in all things, not just the good things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What Paul is saying is, not just the good stuff that happens in our life, but even the horrible things, even when it feels like the bottom has dropped out, God can still turn that around and use it for good. God has an eternal, good, uh, an eternal purpose in mind, and sometimes it's hard to see what that purpose is. I, I, and I'll grant you that. I get it. There's a lot of times in my life where I've looked and said, God, I don't get it. What good could possibly come from this situation? What, what good could possibly come from me having to go through this, from this kind of pain? You don't always see it. But we can trust that God can work it out for, for some kind of good. I'll, I'll tell you this, and you can write this down. Every pain has a purpose. And somebody needs to hear that today. Every pain has a purpose. God doesn't believe in waste. God doesn't let things go to waste and say, oh, you know what, that's really too bad, sorry about that. But God can take even those, worst, those terrible situations and turn them around and make something beautiful, make something great out of them. Um, Angela was telling me a story just yesterday about an author that she had been reading that she had been diagnosed with, with cancer. And she's sitting around in, in the waiting room and she's seeing all these other women who are dealing with cancer too. And, she, and she's saying, God, what possible good could happen in this, in this situation? Here we have a, a, a bunch of women whose, whose, whose bodies are just being ravaged and eaten up by this cancer. God, how can you possibly use this for any good? And the Lord spoke to her in that moment and said, you're here for a reason. You're, you, have, you have a hope that some of these other women in this waiting room don't have. And I want you to share that hope with them. I, I want you to be a light in their life. I want you to be able to, to encourage them in a time where they feel scared and they don't know what's going to happen. What's going on in their lives? And so, yeah, there's times you might go through something in your life that is highly unpleasant, but God can still turn it around and do something awesome with it. He might, be, he might be having you go through something so that you can relate to somebody else going through a similar situation. I, I, if, if any of you have ever dealt with addiction before, I'll tell you, somebody who's never dealt with addiction and is trying to come and, and minister to you and share with you and encourage you, it's not going to carry the same weight 
than if you've had somebody who's battled through addiction and that God has given freedom to and has seen them through, and they're coming and they're encouraging you. I'll tell you, the, the issues and, the things, and the, the, the things in your life that might feel hopeless, God wants you to use that to be a blessing to somebody else. God has an eternal good in mind. And, and I'll tell you, if you read through the Psalms, how many of the Psalms, specifically David's, is he kind of just letting God have it? Say, God, what's going on? Why are my enemies prospering? Why is all this good happening to, to these terrible people? What, have you forgotten about me? Did you forget that I'm here? But almost every one of those psalms ends up with a, a nevertheless. Nevertheless, I'm going to trust you. Nevertheless, I'm going to put my faith in you. Nevertheless, you are good. And I'm going to hold on to that all the time. And, and if you think about it, take, take the crucifixion. God can use the worst for eternal good. You look at the crucifixion where Jesus, he was arrested, had a sham trial, he's hung on a cross, he breathes his last breath. And it looked like all hope had been lost. All of his followers, they went back to their lives that they, that they had before, going back to their, their fishing nets, and people wept, and, and it looked like the enemy had won. But God took what looked like a hopeless situation and turned it out to be the most beautiful day in history. Because three days later, that tomb was empty. And, that, and he was no longer in that grave. That God can take the worst situations in your life and truly turn them around and turn them into something beautiful. And the fourth thing I want to share with you about how we can have hope when everything looks dark around us is that hope helps me see beyond what I can see. Hope helps me see beyond what I can see. And let me, let me explain what I mean by that. We, we, we talked last week about how sometimes we can get bogged down in our circumstances, that, that, we, that we fail to see what it is that God is really doing all around us because we're so busy looking at the things that are going on in our world. And I shared with you the story about the little girl who, who was playing in the fire pit and she was playing with these ashes. And if she had just looked up, she would have had this gorgeous panoramic view all around her. But she was so consumed with, with this ash pile that was right in front of her that she completely missed it. And, and I'll tell you, sometimes what we need is just a change of perspective. It might not change the, the situation that we're dealing with. It might not change what's going on. But sometimes a change of perspective will at least clarify what God is up to. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And this is a, a, a verse that many people have probably heard. You might have had... Grandma cross-stitched this up on the wall. But it says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar. Those who hope in the Lord, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord will soar on wings like eagles. Now just think about that for a moment. An eagle doesn't soar down here on the ground. When an eagle soars way up in the sky, it's got a totally different perspective than you and I have right down here. Like if you've ever flown in an airplane and you've looked out the window, you've seen you can see the hills and the valleys and the rivers and everything else far beyond what we can see just right here in our little box and in our moment here. And I'll tell you, when those who hope in the Lord, they're going to soar on wings like eagles. They're going to get a different perspective. They're gonna, when, when we hope in God... It might not change what we're, what we're dealing with right now in the moment. 
But it's going to give us a different perspective. It's going to give us a different idea of what it is that God actually might be up to in the moment. It, it helps us to be able to see beyond what we can see. And, and as, I, as I mentioned to you before, there, there's a lot of times in life, and you might have experienced this too, that you didn't see what God was up to unless, until you were way further down the road. And you can look back and say, wow, now I see why God was, had me go through that. Now I can see why I had to, to deal with that situation. And, and one thing I've learned in life is sometimes getting some distance between you and your surroundings, it doesn't necessarily change what's going on, but it helps you see it in a little different light. Sometimes, sometimes you, it, it'll provide some clarity, some insight of what's going on when there's a little bit of distance between you and what's going on. That when we hope in God, we're going to soar on wings like eagles that we're going to have a different perspective than what we currently have. And so I, I want to close with this one verse, and I'll invite our, our worship team to come back forward here. And, and I love this verse. It's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 19 and 28. And the writer of Hebrews, he says, we have this hope, this hope, this hope of, of we, talking about our relationship with Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it, en- it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. And, and if you would, if you put verse 19 back up there, the, the writer of Hebrews paints the, this beautiful word picture, and he says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Just what a beautiful metaphor it is. And so this week, I went out and I bought an anchor. Thank God for a Facebook marketplace. And, and, and I'll tell you, I, I, I love this idea, this metaphor. The hope that we have is an anchor for our soul. Now, now you think about this anchor. I'm, I'm guessing this anchor probably weighs 25 pounds, something like that. This 25-pound anchor can hold a boat that weighs thousands of pounds and can hold it steady and secure. That, that when, when a storm is raging around it, when the waves are crashing, when the wind is blowing, this anchor, this small anchor, will hold this boat in place so that it doesn't crash, so it doesn't fall apart, so it doesn't drift off somewhere else. But the hope that we have is an anchor for our soul. And, and I'll tell you, the, the thing about the anchor, that, that it's made to withstand all kinds of forces, the, the force of the, the wave, the tides, the wind, all, all this kind of stuff, this anchor is made to hold steady regardless of what's going on around the boat. That when it's dug down deep, that it's not going to let go. And that our hope is an anchor for our soul. And, and, I, and I want to tell you this, when it feels like life is completely chaotic, when it feels like, like there is no hope, when, when we're at a complete loss for what to do again, when, when all we look around is we see darkness and we don't see any light at all, our hope, the hope we have in Jesus, is an anchor for our soul. That if we hold on to that, we're not going to crash. We're not going to be shipwrecked. We're not going to be cast out to sea and lost and forgotten. But then when we hold on to that hope, when we hold on to that anchor for our soul, when we stay attached and tethered to Jesus, that's how we're going to make it through. That's how we're going to be able to hold on 
regardless of what's happening. Hold, hold on to that hope. Hold on to that anchor for your soul. And, and you know what? It might just be just crying out and saying, God, I'm just, I have no other choice, but I'm holding on to you right now. Everything else around me is telling me the complete opposite. That it's a lost cause, it's hopeless, there's no way this is going to get better. But God, I am holding on. I'm holding on to you. And I'm not going to let go. Because that hope I have in you is an anchor for my soul. It's an anchor for my soul. And if I hold on to this anchor, if I stay tethered to you, I'm not going to crash. I'm not going to burn out. I'm not going to get shipwrecked. I'm not going to die. And so if, if that's you, I just, want to, I just want to pray for you this morning. I want to encourage you. So I'm, I'm going to ask everyone to just close your eyes for just a minute. And I want you just to just be honest with, with, with me. Just be honest with yourself for a few moments here. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I had a really rough week this week. There were multiple times, if you talked to my wife, I felt, I felt very hopeless. Or just say, God, what's the deal? I've been praying for this, and it just keeps getting worse. And I, I just want to say, if you're in need of some hope today, if you're in need of some hope this Christmas season, would you just raise your hand? Because my hand is up there, because I need it. I need some hope. Praise God. I see, I see several hands. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I need some hope. I need that anchor that I can hold on to that's going to prevent me from drifting away. Because it's really easy sometimes. It's really easy to just say, all right, forget it. I'm just letting go. But God said, hold on. Hold on to that anchor. Hold on to that anchor for your soul. So let, let me just pray for you right now. That God, I, I just want to thank you, Lord, that you, that you are the anchor for our souls. God, that you provide real hope in the middle of a world, God, that just makes us end up feeling completely hopeless a lot of the time. God, thank you that, that you love us all the time, no matter what. E even, even when we've been faithless to you, when we've been disappointed, maybe we've, we've called you out, maybe we've even cursed you, Lord. But God, that you've still loved us anyways. God, when, when things didn't work out the way that we wanted them to work out and all this, Lord, that you were still there. And God, we're telling you today that we're trusting you. God, we want to thank you. God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending him into this world so that we truly can experience hope. And God, I pray for my friends this morning. God, those that are just in desperate need of some hope today, that they have a situation that they're fa facing and feels like there's no way out. God, maybe they feel like Shackleton's men who, who were on the ice floe just thinking the world has forgotten about them and everything around them is dark. God, we stand here today and we declare that you're good. God, that we're going to trust you. God, we know that you are for us. And like your word says, that if you're for us, who can possibly be against us? God, we, we know your character. And God, we thank you for being good. We thank you for being just and gracious and kind. God, thank you for being loving and, and faithful, for being wise. God, that you promised that you're going to work all things out for our good because we love you and we're called according to your purpose. And so, God, for those that need just a touch from you today, that just need a glimmer of hope, God, let it be theirs today. God, give them a hope to hold on to, Lord. 
that they would truly be able to hold on to that anchor for their soul. God, remind them of who you are and what your promises are. Lord, that, you, that your word says, God, that you keep track of our sorrows. Lord, that you bottle up our tears. And God, that we should trust you in every situation. And that's what we're stating we're going to do this morning. God, we affirm that we love you, that your plans for us are good. God, that your promises are always yes and amen. So God, I pray you comfort my friends who are struggling here today. God, let your hope be theirs. In Jesus' name, amen.